Welcome to another episode of Whatever We're Calling This, the podcast of comparative literature and cultural studies at the University of Arkansas. Today, we invited Dr. Judith Martinez to talk about graduate school. Dr. Martinez is an assistant professor at Missouri State University. She holds a bachelor from Universidad Autónoma de Nuevo León, a master from Missouri State University, and of course, a PhD in Comparative Literature and Cultural Studies from University of Arkansas. Well, thank you, Dr. Martinez, for accepting the invitation and welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my honor. Okay, uh, Dr. Martinez, uh, first, I would like to know what did you do after you finished your PhD? Well, you know, I was so tired and I had so many plans to do after graduation that I honestly slept for like three days and forgot about everything. But, you know, um, I was very lucky. I already had a, a job in line when I graduated, so I had to go and back to work and just, you know, continue uh, moving forward. Um, uh, honestly, my main worry was to get uh, a lot of publications so that I would get tenure. So, you know, that was my main focus, getting publications so that I would be able to get my tenure. But um, uh, for a year, I was um, applying for jobs and, and I was, like I said, I was very uh, lucky to get to have one job quickly. Quick question, Dr. Martinez. So that means that after you took your comms, you start up like looking for uh, job positions. That's that that was your approach. Yes. So um, I had a, I was talking to my the university where I had previously worked because I was working and studying at the same time, which is a good advice. You know, uh, maybe start looking for a universities that are looking for instructors or per course, so that you can start putting your uh, foot in the door, you know, like they say, just so you can start getting to know people, making connections. And then I knew that that one university where I had been working, they were going to have an opening, a line uh, tenure track. So I applied for that line. But I also, because the, I didn't know if I was going to get it or not, I started applying to other universities, especially, you know, it's important to start looking if, you know, I know that you have a lot when you're doing your comps, but just, you know, having a good LinkedIn account, start, you know, getting notifications to see if uh, there's something near where you can start, uh, starting looking for the requirements so you can get an idea of what people are looking for uh, and, you know, um, start maybe having a draft of an updated uh, CV because I remember at the end when I was applying, I was working on my CV at the end and I couldn't remember what I had done, <laughs> you know? So then a, a, a good tip, I think it's to update it, to have it open in your computer and update it every, every week, you know? Like I did this presentation or I, I'm working on this manuscript or I'm taking this certification or anything extra that you might be doing you know, I was a guest speaker in this class, you know, especially I was a part of the Heritage Month planning committee. Those things that we kind of do as students, you know, a lot of um, student engagement. Uh, I think it's important to have the CV updated so that at the end you have it ready. To follow up on those suggestions, what else do you think like graduate students should 
pay attention when they are looking or when they want to apply for a job. So you already mentioned having a LinkedIn account uh, updated, uh, having a CV like ready as soon as they start doing things, they start like updating that CV as well. But then besides that, is there anything else that you suggest that people should be cautious or or they need to be aware of that kind of things yeah. as well? I think they need to be aware that um, many universities now, because of, you know, whatever reasons, you know, economy or whatever reasons are requiring people to do more than to teach more than one thing. So a lot of the times we're able to teach one subject, but if, and then you concentrate on taking your classes and graduating and that's it. But if you start looking for what they're looking outside, then you might say, well, instead of taking this elective, I'm going to take this elective because it's going to help me more in my career. So, you know, taking electives that'll help you, you know, uh, or tracks or whatever that will um, diversify what you can do because that's what people are looking for right now. Kind of somebody that can do more than one uh, subject, more than one topic, more than one thing, which I know is not ideal, but that's the reality. Okay. Now, I, I really like the part of reality. Now, as a, like, people who are starting the master or the PhD. And of course, I, I was in that position as well. I didn't know where to start, what to do, which classes uh, should I take. I was wondering if there is any kind of skills or like uh, any kind of particular things that you should maybe suggest to new PhD students they need to focus on. What is like the trend on higher education? What kind of positions are they advertising right now? What kind of skills they should have like in a basic manner just to be able to diversify their profile and be more like competitive when they are applying for a job? Right. So, you know, when you're already working, they ask you to be um, excellent or to be proficient at being able to publish. So research, which is, you know, the main thing. And then, of course, teaching. And then the other one is service. So I think it is important, like I said, if you can start teaching one or two classes so you can already have a teaching experience, that'll set you apart from somebody who's brand new and never taught. So if you have you know, that experience, that'll help you. Uh, another thing that I always say is being able to socialize. I know that in my case, I'm an introvert, but building positive relationships is very important because you're making those connections and networking. And when you do service in the university, you have to be able to show leadership in the committees that you are. You have to be able to connect with people, right? You have to be able to organize certain events, certain things. So the more you can be uh, engaged uh, in things that will prepare you for leadership, so that, you know, that'll set you apart when they're looking for somebody else. So if you have extracurricular things like um, student engagement, uh, if you have understanding of any cultural aspect of uh, on the side, you know, like I always say here, for example, I'm still in charge of things like the Hispanic Heritage Month, you know, which is something I'm familiar because I did it in my undergrad. So I can get creative, you know, so being creative, building positive relationships, showing leadership, you know, uh, it, it does making good connections with people, networking. I think those are skills that nobody tells you that you should have. 
but it's it's very important because you know it, for me it was very easy because I love to read and write to just concentrate on my books and not talk to anybody you know but uh, it's very important to get involved in in the university and you never know how those connections will help you for example I had a really good connection with uh, one of my advisor and then I was in charge of organizing something here and I thought oh my advisor can help me he can be the guest speaker and there he was you know so then having those connections because they were going to help you when you move forward in your career but that's why it is important to study because you want to be remembered as a good student right if you were not a good student then you're probably going to be you know ashamed to ask questions so i always say study 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 and then study more and then read 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 and then read more and taking into account that that i know what i'm saying it's hard and it sounds it it sounds very unrealistic to you know go to school and also socialize and also do this and in my case i had children and i had to work and i but it's just a stretch that you're doing for five years you know or seven years i don't depending on how many classes you're taking but it's temporary and then you know i think at the end it should pay off at least for the sake of knowledge but uh i think it's worth it to be involved plus you make really good friends. You know, I, I have really good friends that I made while I was going to school. Okay, Dr. Martinez, you mentioned study, 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 uh, read, 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 get involved in the community. Now, right now there is a lot of pressure on, on graduate students. And I think that in your, while you were doing your PhD was the same. So I was kind of curious how as a graduate student, like how we create a balance to have a, a good mental health. Any advice on that part? Yes, you know, I, I made a mistake when I was working in my PhD and studying and, and working full time. I was trying to take too much, you know, like uh, uh, I had too much on my plate and I thought that I had to do everything at once, you know, and, and honestly, nobody was rushing me. I could, you know, I could have taken, you know, maybe one class over the summer instead of three classes, uh, you know, but I would choose to take three and then I was overwhelmed and there was a time in my life where I was I just had a, break, a mental breakdown you know where I had to stop doing everything for one semester because I couldn't go on anymore and I think that if you make the right decisions you're gonna find that it is more important to enjoy what you're doing than to have all the stress and pressure and then just break down like me because your body is gonna ask you to rest whether you want it or not. So it is it is better to just do it voluntarily, you know, and say, okay, I'm gonna try to find something else, you know, for my body, spiritual and intellectual. So making sure that you're addressing the, th the three things, the three pillars of life so that you can be well uh, fed, you know, so that you can be well balanced and and not just concentrate on doing one thing and then everything falls apart you know i think it is it is that's why it's called balanced with that balance uh and with all that struggle i think that one of the most important person that should be around you is that your advisor so then is the person that you can communicate uh you, you can express how you're feeling and maybe sharing your your thoughts your projects and of course, he's a great uh, person to ask 
or a recommendation letter at the end. Now, how to choose an advisor? What kind of uh, details you need to take into consideration besides like that the person is going to be good on, on your field, uh, it has maybe published uh, tons of like uh, articles or maybe has published a lot of books, but besides the academic perspective, is there anything else that you might consider it could be a great uh, idea when choosing an, an advisor? You know, an advisor's role is kind of like a mentor role. It's a mentor. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you what one of my best friends here told me in the university when I was looking for a mentor when I came to the university here to where I'm working. He said, look for a mentor with a good heart. And to me, that was really important because in my mind, I was looking for somebody with a lot of publications, you know, somebody who was very renowned in the field. But I think it is more important to find somebody, somebody who's going to be ethical, somebody who's going to tell you upfront, you know, this is how you should do things, who's going to correct you in the right, proper way and give you feedback, constructive feedback, so that you can grow, not to diminish you or to make you feel, you know, like a bad a scholar, but somebody who will give you feedback and you, that you know that is genuine because they want you to grow. Um, I think it's also important to have somebody that's that's good at communicating because you want somebody that will reply to your emails. You know, I mean, some advisors never reply to emails. And in my case, with, you know, somebody with anxiety, I would get very anxious when I wouldn't hear because I would think I did something wrong. So somebody who would reply to emails, who would be responsive, somebody who is a caring person that will care for your well-being, you know, holistically, I will ask you, you know, I haven't seen you around in this event. Uh, you know, somebody who also has a student approach, who you'll see those, those kind of faculty in, in the events, you know, in the heritage months, in the day of the dead, in the cultural things, or always pushing students forward. I think those are the best advisors because they are constantly thinking on how to help students. And that's something that, that you have it or not. You know, it doesn't matter if you've published 30-something books. If you don't care for students, you're not going to be a good advisor, period. And if you have the opportunity to choose an advisor, I would go with somebody with a good heart that you know that is, you know, and then you say how to, how to know if he has a good heart. I think that uh, professors that have that student approach, that are student-oriented, uh, that care about the university's growth overall, I think they show a lot of, you know, high standards, high ethics. I think those are the ones that students need to follow because you're going to build a strong relationship with them and you want to make sure, you know, besides clicking with them, you want to make sure that they're caring because then you know that they're going to push you to be a better person with the right intention and give you the best advice with the right intention. You know, and, and in my case, especially as an international student, I think we also try to find somebody kind of like a family away from family. And so that's why it is important to find somebody with, you know, really, really high moral standards in my case, I think. Wow. The, Dr. Martinez, uh, you, you gave me a lot of uh, nice suggestions. Um, and I hope that the graduate students who are listening to this episode, they also uh, have taken notes uh, when 
choosing an advisor. Now, because we're celebrating the Latin X Heritage Month, now Dr. Martinez, we're going to switch a little bit in Spanish. Ahí está la parte sorpresa que no, no le había comentado lo que le iba a preguntar. Perfecto. Entonces, eh, doctora Martínez, eh, primera pregunta. Eh, ¿Cuál es la canción que a usted le recuerda a algo de su infancia? Yo comienzo para que le dé tiempo de, de pensar. Eh, bueno, yo soy de Barranquilla, entonces eh, la canción, mi canción favorita y que me... Me, me, me mueve todo el esqueleto, es una de Joe Arroyo, eh, cuando dice, en Barranquilla me quedo, y entonces yo me, me, me emociono. Eh, en su caso, doctora Martínez, ¿qué canción le trae algún bonito recuerdo? ¿Le recuerda a su infancia o algo adicional? Sí, mira, cuando yo estaba chiquita, eh, mi abuelita vivía con nosotros, que es muy común en las familias latinas que los abuelitos vivan con, con, los, con la familia, ¿no? Entonces, Correcto. mi abuelita no le gustaba dormir sola y yo me dormía con ella. Entonces, ella todas las mañanas se levantaba a las 5 de la mañana con la hora típica de Agustín Lara. Y con Agustín Lara salían boleros, cantaban boleros y boleros. Y había un bolero que, que se llama Nosotros, Nosotros que nos queremos tanto, este, tenemos que separarnos, no me preguntes más. Ahora lo canta Luis Miguel, ¿no? Nosotros que nos queremos tanto, tenemos que separarnos. No sé si la sabes. No, me no, 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 no la había escuchado. Y él le dice, no es falta de cariño, te quiero con el alma, te juro que te adoro y en nombre de este amor y por tu bien te digo adiós. Entonces mi oh, abuelita me decía, esa canción la escribió porque él tenía tuberculosis y no quería que ella se contagiara. Entonces la deja por amor. Y mi abuelito, que era pastor en, la, en una iglesia cristiana, generalmente no cantaba canciones eh, seculares, siempre cantaba himnos, pero esa canción sí la cantaba. Entonces... Siempre me recuerda a mi infancia y luego Luis Miguel la cantó, así es que se volvió muy popular en mi vida. Oh, qué lindo. Doctora Martínez, la última pregunta. Sí, eh, claro. Una palabra en español que le encante. Yo comienzo. Eh, en mi caso me gusta la palabra bola de trapo o bola de trapo, como de pronto le diríamos rápidamente, porque es como, es como el fútbol sala, solo que uno juega en la calle ponen dos piedras en un lado, dos piedras en el otro lado, y era una bola que al principio se hacía con, con trapos viejos. Eh, en algunos lugares eh, le echaban gasolina y le prendían fuego y se jugaba así. Entonces, de niño, a, a mí me encanta el fútbol, entonces bola de trapo para mí es, eh, me, me trae buenos recuerdos y, y me encanta la palabra como suena, porque le puedes decir bola de trapo o bola de trapo. Entonces, me, me, me fascina esa en su caso. ¿Cuál le gusta? En mi caso me encanta la palabra jurisdicción. ¿Por qué? Yo soy, yo soy abogada, mi papá es abogado, mis hermanos todos son abogados y, me, y siempre usaba esa palabra mi papá, jurisdicción, y él nos decía jurisdicción es juris derecho y dicción decir. Decir la justicia, decir el derecho. Es muy importante pelear por la justicia, pelear por el derecho. Y empieza por el lenguaje. Cuando yo tenía mi tesis en la maestría, no en el doctorado, yo escribí la palabra jurisdicción aquí en Estados Unidos y mi advisor me mandó a llamar y me dijo, ¿segura que tú escribiste esta palabra? Porque este es un big word. Y era una palabra con la que yo crecí, ¿verdad? Pero, pero entendí que, que eh, algunas personas tenían algún pensamiento sobre los latinos como que no debes hablar tan bien inglés porque escribiste esto. Y me da risa que ella pensaba eso porque en realidad en inglés 
han adoptado muchísimas palabras del latín y del español de nosotros, ¿no? Entonces nosotros por ende sabemos muchas palabras que son big words, pero las traemos en el lenguaje. No, y tiene toda la razón, la, esa es la, la riqueza del, del idioma y de ese, eh, bueno, bilingüe, políglota en, en ciertos casos. Entonces, doctora Martínez, muchas gracias por su tiempo, gracias claro. por haber aceptado la invitación y no sé si tiene algo más que decirnos. Bueno, pues que estudien, lean, lean, lean. Eh, eh, lo más importante en el doctorado es estudiar, como decía eh, un filósofo, por la, por study for the sake of studying, knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Y yo creo que eso es lo más importante y urgente ahorita en el mundo. Bueno, muchas gracias. Al contrario. Well, it looks like the episode is over. Thank you to the Program of Comparative Literature and Cultural Studies for the support. Thank you, Dr. Martinez, for accepting the invitation. And I hope you join us next time in another episode of whatever we're calling this. Nos vemos. <laughs>